0: Welcome to Establish the Edge. I'm your host, Mike Leone. I have a really exciting episode here today. I have the three members of the Go Bills team that won the FFPC main event in back-to-back years. This is the first time, uh, if I'm correct, that anyone has ever won this contest in back-to-back years, which is pretty insane. I think it was like nearly 4,000 teams last year. Two years ago, you guys took down a $500,000 grand prize. Last year, one million. So. Living large, the team is Dom, Sean, and Nick, and I have to mention, of course, with the Go Bills team name, that they are from Buffalo, so I've I've got my Bills hoodie on for this stream, and you can watch it on the Established Edge YouTube channel, but yeah, fellas, thanks so much for joining me. Congrats on your success so far. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having us. We're excited to be here. Yeah, and uh, I met you guys in person, I believe, for the first time in Vegas, in between your two main events. victories, (laughs) victories <laughs> had my first and only to date soul crushing credit card roulette loss uh. it came down to me and nick but we had an awesome meal i think it was like craft steak i think was the place yeah. and we had a really good meal there so that that was awesome but yeah i'll uh, throw it to dom and just kind of want to hear a little bit about how you guys got together starting drafting teams to begin with like and how long you guys have known each other
1: yeah we've known each other for Oh, gosh, I don't have an exact date on it, but 10, 15 years now, at least, like we kind of grew up together, um, you know, started as many people do in fantasy football, right? It was like, as you're kind of a teenager in home leagues with your friends, um, as you get older, like the buy-ins go up and you get more and more serious about it. Eventually, the three of us kind of found out about like high stakes fantasy in general and the FFPC. So uh, the three of us being like competitive people that we are, um, naturally, once you find out about playing the top competition, uh, you want to get involved. So Sean and I did a football guys, uh, one team together just to get our our feet wet. And then when we jumped into the main events, uh, knowing Nick was a really good fantasy player. Also, we asked him to be involved and uh, kind of took it from there.
0: Yeah, that's that's awesome. Sean, I know you've got a little bit of a poker background as well. I'm assuming that helps in the, uh, the fantasy streets.
2: Yeah, a lot of similar theories when it comes to like game theory and approaching large sample sizes and things of that nature. Um, how you attack what a population is doing, maybe making a mistake. How you deviate from what the population is doing to, um, to kind of gain an edge on the field. Um, a lot of concepts that really cross over from the poker world into fantasy football. So it's it's that's been a benefit for me, just having that background already, for sure.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I kind of want to split this pot into two segments. One, just talking about how you guys operate as a team in general was pretty interesting to me. And then two, talking about the FFPZ main event itself. And a good segue into operating as a team, as we were joking about uh, pre-stream, was <laughs> – you know, had a little bit of a difficult draft on the uh, ETR live stream the other night with myself, Adam Levitan, and Evan Silva, and probably, uh, you know, a good example of how to not operate together as a team in a live draft, although uh, the entertainment was good. You guys, I'm assuming, are a pretty well-oiled machine by this point. You know, Dom mentioned that you've been doing it for so long. Uh, so Nick, like how are you guys prepping, you know, before the draft? I've seen Sean's like old school draft board that he like writes out tiers on. Um, does that does that make it to to Vegas to the main event drafts?
3: Oh yeah, actually I'm usually the creator of those draft boards. I okay. like having Every draft I create one of those boards um, the day of to try and get the most up-to-date ADP and then I'll highlight all those players in tiers. Usually I'll do that with the like at least one of the boys just to kind of see if our tiers are similar um but yeah we we like having at least one of those boards for sure that helps um just like what like for me I like looking at that board as we're going Dom and Sean will have the draft board open and they'll kind of look at the players on there and they'll just kind of help us so that we don't miss anything um we all make our own rankings before the season with like with tiers too so we'll go through those rankings and kind of see where we differentiate and um we we each have like a final say on draft board so we talk through like sometimes sometimes like all have a guy that i really like and it and they and the other two will have not as strong of a feeling but if it's my final say i can sign i can kind of like rule them off if i feel so strongly about it but for the most part we have a majority rule and that works really well for us
0: Okay, nice. Yeah, that makes sense. And obviously, uh, as seen on the ETR live draft, touching base on the player tiers ahead of time uh, seems seems like a must because you don't want to be arguing stuff mid draft that like yeah. should be hashed out already. Yeah. Like, I'll get into like I'm sure there's some deviations, but um, that kind of touched on one of my questions, like how you guys are touching base on player takes, and um, seems like a pretty tier based approach. You guys are comparing draft boards as far as like macro strategy you know, in terms of roster construction or like where you think you can attack guys at ADP, how much of that are you talking about ahead of time? Or are you guys kind of feeling that out on the fly? Uh, Sean, I'll throw that to you.
2: Yeah, um, we do. We do a ton of prep work on that side of things ahead. Um, Generally, we look at, we try to use, and I'll shout them out like I do in every podcast. We try to use Darren Armani's Fantasy Mojo tools um, for ADP. um, So we have a good idea of where the ADP sits for uh, the FFP main event. As close to the uh, as close to current as possible, and then we go in. We'll go in ahead of time and and do mock builds based on that ADP. So we'll build different structures, um, whether it's a hero running back build, a zero running back build, a build that attacks an early quarterback, or you know, aggressive or on an early tight end, if that if it makes sense for that in terms of ADP. Um, so we have different builds prepped already, and then we decide what we like out of those builds how how we feel the optimal build from that draft slot will be made and then we just you know take what the draft gives to us you know if if there's a big faller you try to attack that value as best you can but then you build your structure based on what you have in the early rounds and based on what you know and what you've prepped for
0: yeah fooling around with different early builds definitely seems to make sense because sometimes you have to pivot in the draft and if you've just kind of committed to one build and then like one of you sort of sees like it's, it's just not happening this draft and you want to pivot like that's easy to do on your, you know, on your own, but it can be hard with a group of people. Mm-hmm. I did an NFFC 10 K with the ship chasing guys, Peter Overset, Pat Crane, and Ben Gretsch last year. And we were, uh, we were pretty prepared for them. That, that was something we kind of talked about where like, we didn't want to start early running backs in the NFFC format being three wide receiver, but you know, Eckler fell to a point in the first round where he was like, we're going to take him there. And then if we can get Brees here, we're going to take him. And then structurally we'll just draft every young wide receiver after to try and catch breakout. Mm-hmm. So like we were on the page that we were able to make that pivot when it occurred during the draft. Whereas had we not, it might've been tough to just sell like, Oh, let's take Brees here. And it's like, no, we need wide receivers. So um, that makes a ton of sense to me. And um, as far as in the draft itself, Nick mentioned a little bit how you you guys are kind of you know two of you are looking sort of like at the site and the board, and he's got like the the manual, written big board. Do you, are you divvying up duties, Dom, or you know it's like one guy tracking tiers, one guy tracking ADP, or is it kind of like everybody doing a little bit?
1: Yeah, everyone's doing a little. Everyone's doing a little bit. Um, I know I have like a few monitors at home, and I'm pretty used to keeping track of, of multiple things at the same time. <laughs> Nick alluded to earlier, one of the things that we found helpful with a three-man group. So obviously, like there's some situations where you'll kind of need to, to vote or come to like a, a majority consensus, whatever you want to call it. Um, one of the things in like the first year that we noticed some like friction pain points on that we try to improve on is the situation where you're with three, two people have a strong lean, right? Like I think it's player A, I think it's player B. And then the third guy kind of gets caught in the middle and it's like, I don't have a strong take here. And it's weird. Cause like they're the tiebreaker deciding vote, but then they don't have a strong take. Um, it's one of those things you kind of need to improve on and get better as, as a team, we did the, the final say Trump card kind of mix here. So it's like, okay, all of our main event teams, someone has final say on that team. So someone is, whether that's person's actually clicking, like they're making the final call and like, you can trump the other two players if you want to, you can work to get to a consensus if you want to. But for us, it was kind of a way to like make those decisions a little cleaner and not kind of put one person stuck Mm -hmm. between the two in the middle of two strong takes. Um, So I think that really helped from year one to year two kind of changing uh, that framework for us. And and we've definitely just um, it helps that we're close friends. It helps that we trust each other and we don't like bring an ego to all these conversations, just like assuming one of us is right. Like I, I truly believe that three sharp fantasy people working together can do better than any one of them individually. The whole is gonna be greater than the sum of its parts. If you check your ego, if you're willing to listen to other people that you trust are putting in the work and you'll just improve at it and get better at it over time. So um, definitely now by this point, like the arguments or um, kind of mismanagement situations those are happening much less often. We're, we're much more experienced and better at the partnership than we were before
0: yeah i like the trump card system obviously if you're only doing one draft that can be difficult for who gets yeah. the trump card but i think sean had mentioned to me that you're doing nine i'm, I'm assuming it's like three three and three as far as uh the, the trump card being split up i do like that i like your point on too about like three minds being greater than one i know um have had success in these nffc drafts with the ship chasing guys we're doing another one this year 2500 the week of the season, and, um we it, it's a good combination where we have like enough in common and enough different that like we meet in the middle and it ends up, you know, working out pretty well, like macro strategy. I think we're on the same page. I might lean into like projection stuff a little bit more and Gretch might be a little bit more into like player archetypes and then kind of meeting in the middle. We've had a lot of success being able to do that. Um, Anything else as far as how the team operates, how things go in season, um, who gets stuck doing waivers or is that a collective group?
1: No, that's a fun that's a fun like two day project. We all spend time on Discord and you know, we try to keep it to like an hour, hour and a half, but inevitably <laughs> yeah. three good friends like kind of noodle on things and just talk about talk through like all sorts of different combinations. I mean, we typically try to be as, as forward looking as we can, right? And and we're 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 sensitive to kind of all the things you mentioned, whether it's player archetypes or upcoming bye weeks or just like macro construction. You know, we're 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 spending a good amount of time like actually talking kind of on discord on the phone. Right. Um, and no one's like, uh, even if you're like, have the final say on the team, like we all kind of work together on waivers. I know like my process is like kind of right after games, I'll go through and do like a quick pass on waivers, whether there's like obvious players that you can add for the week or just like literally just like scroll through the position list and just get something started. Like, so we usually get all the players and like the order, of our bids kind of first. Mm-hmm. And then the dollar amounts are like the final um, thing that that's like the art, not the science, right? Like when someone asks like, how do you do waivers? How do you come up with a number? It's like, <laughs> it's not the most easy thing in the world. Like <laughs> experience is definitely gonna dictate a lot of, of what you do, but we try to do like kind of that first and we try to work at it all together, right? We don't want, leave no stone unturned, like three eyes are better than one on waivers. Like we all kind of put in the work and, and trust each other.
3: Yeah. I think a lot yeah. of people underestimate how important waivers are. Like we wouldn't have won last year without the couple waiver ads that we had in Jarek McKinnon and Zay Jones. So like you have to be on there every Wednesday and and Sunday morning trying to find anything that has like life out there on waivers. Cause you never know when you're going to find a league winner out there.
0: Yeah. And I know like, that's my weak link is like spending time on waivers, but to Dom's point, um, especially like way back in the day, I used to play a ton of season long fantasy baseball and, Mm-hmm. Setting that like initial list, you know, even if it's like a super quick pass, I felt like helped to limit mistakes and just speed things up on like the day of the actual deadline to just have some something in place rather than starting completely yeah. from scratch helped a lot. Um, let's dovetail into FFPC main event strategy a little bit different. Year one, I remember you guys hit the absolute nuts because we had an NFFC team that was like close, but not nearly as good. I think that was the year. What was like Debo Chase, yeah, prop, Cup, and Andrew Andrews, I mean it was just <laughs> it was just the pure nuts draft. And then year two, I know was different. Nick, you mentioned getting Zay Jones and Jarek McKinnon via waivers. So just kind of different, different routes to victory, where year one was just kind of the, the triumph from the beginning, just let that team play, and then year two was was more of the grind. So Nick, I don't know speak a little bit to how those two years kind of played out and, or just reminisce nostalgically over that, that year <laughs> one team that was drafted.
3: Yeah. The, the the two year ago team, that team was literally a dream. I don't think you can, you can't, you can't draft a team as good as that. Like, I think that's going to be the last time you see a team where you have legitimately set six or seven guys going in the, the first two rounds, the following year, we, we didn't have an yeah. RB a good RB two that year. And, it didn't even matter. We got that decision wrong almost every week in the beginning of the season, and our team was still scoring 170 plus every week. So that team didn't really require a ton of work. Um, the team last year required as much work as you could ask for. Honestly, we had we had decision making every week throughout the decision throughout the year, um, and then in the sprint we had a pivotal decision between um, Zonovan Knight and Zay Jones, and we looked at Darren Armani's site and we saw that um, uh, Z- Zonovan Knight was 75% owned. So we were like, you know what, why don't we fade this guy? Since we're not in the top, let's go with a little bit like a less owned guy in Zay Jones who was also playing Dallas and we had CD lamb. So we had a little bring back option. So we were just playing that game being a shootout and Zay Jones was a WR one that week. So that catapulted us into first place. Cause we had 222 points that week. And then, the following week we actually benched zay jones when he had one catch so we were just we were just pulling all the right strings uh yeah,
0: yeah. i i knew that you had benched in the second week I, I didn't realize you had that 50 50 decision the first week which is really interesting to know how you guys are you know thinking through like kind of taking the dfs element of it like mm-hmm. it's a large field tournament at that point during the sprint and you want lower owned high upside and you guys again, like hitting that parlay where you played Zay Jones, hit the low own play on him, mm-hmm. but then you sat him the next week. I remember there were weather issues in that game, yep. and I was he amazed was at out how many Thursday
3: against the Jets. Yeah,
0: yeah, and it was rain. It was like rainy. I, I was stunned yeah. how many people like weren't adjusting on that again, mm-hmm. like kind of DFS mindset. Like, I, like I'm so used to paying close attention to the weather. I think maybe sometimes in, in the season long streets, it doesn't get the play. But you guys benched him, which created the dynamic where you you not only pulled this lever to gain leverage on all the non-Zay Jones team week one, but now you've beaten all the Zay Jones teams because those those teams mostly just played them again uh, week two. Mm-hmm.
3: It's hard benching the WR won the next week after he just catapulted <laughs> you. You know, that yeah. takes some, some some big stones to pull that one off.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to ask some more playoff-specific questions before I do that. Zina going ask how many teams you generally draft. Noted, it's it's nine. How many did you draft the previous two years when you won? Do you remember main events specifically?
2: Yeah, year year one we drafted four, um, and then year two the um, we drafted seven. It was our sixth of seven teams, one of the live drafts in Vegas actually, um, that let Travis Kelsey fall to the twelfth pick and catapulted us to a wow. magic victory. Uh, yeah, that was it was the latest Travis Kelsey pick you could have gotten last year, and obviously that was. Uh, that was the nuts you could, you could possibly get because we got a unique build with Kelsey, which, you know, getting Kelsey with with CeeDee Lamb, with, you know, Devontae Smith, with with Mahomes was just, you know, a crazy combination. But, yeah, we, we were, drafted four and then seven.
1: We were trying to round out our, like, elite tight end exposure going into Vegas last year. Mm-hmm. And so that mm-hmm. draft was first. And we were like, okay, we don't have Kelsey. We don't have Andrews yet. think we might be able to get Kelsey on the second team, right? And then he falls to 12 to us. In the first draft, I was like, okay, it actually worked out perfectly because our second team, we got Andrews. Um, To your point about the playoffs, just piggybacking on it a little bit, I mean, we were a uh, Mahomes-Kelsey team last year. Now, the the price is a bit different, right? It was the end of the first and the top of the sixth that we got Kelsey-Mahomes last year, both pretty good prices. Um, But that stack was quite highly owned um, coming into the sprint. So it, it was one of those things you had to be cognizant of, like, okay, the team was in, like, a hundredth or so. So, I mean, it's, you know, top 20% of teams, but not, not like last year, right. And like, not the first place overall points leader, you know, you have other Kelsey Mahomes teams ahead of you. You're aware of Zonovan night ownership. Like this is what you kind of need to be fearless in some of this decision-making here, or like a, a DFS approach, or, or you really do need to be cognizant of like the stacking and, and where you can get some leverage. You're seeing it this year in ADP too, um, particularly with the elite quarterbacks, like that stack, whether it's Diggs Allen, um hurts kelsey mahomes again iadp that stack is is really lining up where it's pretty easy to get it so not necessarily that you need to steer away from the expensive stack but it's just something you're going to need to th- think of especially if you bring one of those teams uh to the sprint at the end
0: yeah i think people are more aware of stacking now so you mentioned the adps are lining up where you can get it and it's like hard to know if that's chicken or egg where like is it lining up like organically, mm-hmm. or is it because people are making that stack, and that's that's where the, the ADP is? And the game's definitely evolving, but um, not just in the playoffs room. But yeah, just curious in general how this structure of this tournament affects how you draft. Like like you mentioned the stacking, you know, going in trying to get stacking, but you know, playoff schedules and just um, the fragility of different builds and shooting for ceiling. How does the fact that this is a really top-heavy kind of large field for season-long contest impact your decision making on draft day, or is it just, or do you try not to overthink that and just build like these really quality upside-type teams?
2: I I think it matters. I mean, you're definitely shooting for the late-season upside, whether that's you know young receivers, which has been the kind of the uh, secret sauce to uh, winning fantasy teams over the last few years, getting that youth at receiver, those guys who really start to break out in the second half. Um, but looking at the schedules for weeks 15 and 16 and 17 for teams looking at who they play looking at the weather potential weather issues you might have i mean there might be an elite team that plays three potential awful weather games in that stretch and now you're now you're in a position where yeah you might get those guys and you your team looks good but then you, you come into three blizzard conditioned games down the stretch and you can't win um so you have to be a little cognizant of that of the scheduling there um, but yeah in general for strategy because it's a top heavy end of season stretch, you really want to be focused on the players that you think are going to be hitting their stride or you know hitting their peak towards the end of the season, which generally tends to be younger players, rookies, players who kind of enter the lineup halfway through the year. They're maybe fresher towards the end and they've they're younger and you know they have that talent that, you know, that kind of you know extreme upside case that you can win a league with.
0: Yeah. And dovetailing that into just like how you guys feel about you know, macro strategies, like heading the draft and, and dealing with player takes and archetypes. Um, I know you guys have watched ship chasing. I, I believe you guys are, we're Rotovis, our Rotovis guys. Correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, I feel like your drafts kind of do a good job of taking like a lot of those lessons in terms of wide receiver youth. You mentioned Sean and um, avoiding some of the running back landmines, but then maybe layer in some more you know practicality might be the wrong word but um you you know factoring in projection maybe perhaps a little bit more and i know too that the way this is structured you know the regular season is weeks one through what i guess 12 now 12, yeah. which is and at one point it was weeks one through 11 and that's that's a shorter regular season to give yourself time if you're building like a full zero rb team or depend on a ton of rookies so um How do you guys kind of, I guess, like see your, your macro strategy or things you're trying to accomplish in the draft?
1: I'll say for me personally, I guess, um, I think it was a couple years ago and I'm sure some other people have written about this, but I know Jack Miller, I think it was two years ago, posted a series on running back archetypes and that really, really stuck with me. It was, I think one of the most important things I have learned, um, playing fantasy football, like high stakes over the last few years is not just everyone has player takes, right? Like everyone kind of understands floor, ceiling, projection base. Like there can be some nuance to it, but I think um, most people playing at the highest levels kind of get that. What I think people miss sometimes, and you don't even really need to apply this to just running backs. Although I think it works particularly well for like rounding out a running back room and trying to figure out what mix of players you need to get through the season. I mean, you can do this, like if you're doing like a punt quarterback or a punt tight end build, I think this kind of stuff is really important um, receivers as well. I mean, I think many of us understand and appreciate like the value that rookies and just younger players can provide in those middle rounds of the draft, but just like understanding the texture of like what the whole group looks like together, because this team, it is a short, regular season, right? So like you're often going to need, if you do like rookies, like you're going to need other players maybe to supplement and make some kind of tough decisions um, to play some more kind of projectable players, at different points, but just like not drafting too many of the same types of guy, like Mm -hmm. not going, um, not being like very dogmatic in how you build your teams, like trying to build well-rounded teams. And then from there after draft night, if you are a good fantasy player, you appreciate like the gamesmanship aspect and leaving no stone unturned, right? Like play the game to the best extent that you can, whether that's working as hard as you can on waivers, staying two or three weeks ahead of like defenses or handcuff running backs for a dollar, like trying to just get someone before they cost, you know, a hundred waiver dollars for a week, like play the game as best you can. And like that well-rounded kind of complete archetype running back tight end, whatever your, your exact team kind of needs. I mean, that was one of the strategies that, that really st- stuck with me the most. And it's like very important to how we draft and like what we're thinking of, um, when we're building out teams.
0: Yeah. That's really well put well, well put, uh, well articulated. Um, I'm going to ruminate on that some, but I know like, yeah, finding that perfect line between having like good median points without sacrificing your ceiling. Um, and I know put the whole like how the archetypes of the rv room fit together that's something that i think people consider a lot in best ball but maybe don't consider enough and managed you know they look at that a little bit differently so i can see where that you know that comes together i know with drew dinkmeyer a couple of years ago we were talking to about like you know, you know you want you know you've got your two down grinders you can score touchdowns you've got kind of your safe pass catchers who are going to rack up ppr points front have a ceiling you've got your pure handcuffs who like Are complete zeros, but then they have this big ceiling if the injury happens in front of them. So I like that. Um, As far as how FFPC and specific operate. So you've got tight end premium scoring, you've only got two wide receiver spots, but two flexes. And it creates an interesting dynamic where you have a lot of flexibility in terms of the way you can achieve that upside, right? Like you can go, you know, bully tight end and get like a lot of upside that way. Generally, I'm trying to draft wide receiver, heavier rooms. The teams that draft RB heavier, they can get away with it in this league because they can start four, but at the same time, because they can start four, sometimes those RBs go earlier. So it's a little bit of a mix, but do you find yourself in terms of how you're filling the flats? Does that end up being similar from team to team, or is it pretty different just based on how the draft shakes out?
3: I think those spots are generally always going to be different. Ideally you'd like to have receivers in those spots, but, the way that every every draft is different and every draft spot is different. So you can go into a draft saying, oh, I wanna have five receivers in the first six rounds, but sometimes that draft doesn't um, let you have that. So you have to be flexible. Um, usually we don't like going three running backs early. I think that's probably our least favorite strategy. Um, we have been doing two running backs early a little bit. So I, th- I think that's a fine strategy, but with the flexes, I don't think you have to have one sp- specific um, position in there probably optimal to have receivers in there. But if, if the draft doesn't let you have that, I think you just got to play the best player available and be like water in these draft rooms and make sure that you're building your team optimally and not set a particular strategy for one pick. Um, yeah. I think that's probably the best.
0: Yeah. That makes sense. And going back to something Dom said too, about, you know, being smart and balanced and kind of realizing what you have as a team, like your guys is a Jones pickup, for example, like, mm-hmm. I don't know if I make that pick up. Cause I'm kind of like at a certain point for a wide receiver, I'm only looking at ceiling. Like there's just certain guys I'm just not taking. And I, I don't know if I would have been sharp enough to say like, sure. He's not like this huge ceiling player, but like, he's good enough to, you know, to fill out.
3: So for, so for our team this year, we took Allen Robinson at the three twelve, and we were having a feeling that like, that might not be a great pick after week one. So we were looking at receivers at, on waivers, trying to find anything, and Jacksonville was an offense we thought was interesting enough to take their w, WR2 on. And, um, yeah, I'm,
1: I there was a couple other guys I think we had priority. I'm, I'm blanking on who they were. He wasn't like our most expensive bid mm-hmm. that week. But to Kaz's point and just like if I was giving advice and saying to you know people out there, hey, if you want to work on your gamesmanship in fantasy football, uh, Allen Robinson was concerning right away. Yeah. And we ended up dropping him, I believe, by week seven or week eight. I think it was earlier. By, was it their bye earlier. week? It Either was week way, two or three. It, we were decisive about realizing that, like, hey, there might be a need here that needs to be filled. Um, just waiver strategy in general. I mean, like, it's going to be more fruitful earlier in the year, right? Like, ideally, you'd want to take your biggest cracks at waivers in the first, like, two to four weeks of the season, right? So Zay Jones was definitely – um, if you held on to your priors too strongly about Zay Jones, like you may not have been mm-hmm. interested in like, yeah, yeah I don't, there's not probably not real ceiling here. Like he seems mm-hmm. like he's just a volume driven guy. And I don't know, man. I mean, if you run the season 100 times last year, like what percentage of those is Zay Jones like getting the amount of targets that he does? Like, I don't know. It's probably not more than 50%, but like identifying a need. Acting decisively and, like, not afraid of being wrong, I guess, or, like, clutching onto your priors too too carefully um, was just a couple of the things that, that got us on Zay when we were.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's, there's just this push and pull between, like, upside in terms of the talent of the player and then just, like, the opportunity in front of them. And, like, as you said, like, trying to not hold on to your priors. Like, you want to hold on to your priors, but not too much, you know, just kind of being a little bit open-minded. And, you know, I did a, a podcast with Davis Maddock with bold takes recently, and I'm pretty into Christian Kirk this season, but part of it's like almost like what happened with Zay Jones where it's like, Oh, like what if he just runs a little bit pure than we think? Like it doesn't feel like a big upside pick, but like it can still hit. And I I'm having a tough time describing it, but like, it can still, if you have that type of volume, um, on like an offense like Jacksonville that's going to throw a lot, has a young quarterback that you are expecting to get a lot better. And you're just out there running routes. Like good things could happen, even if that's not, you know, the exact archetype of the player that, you know, you optimally want to take. I really appreciated
1: um, you confirming my priors about Christian Kirk being a very good pick this year when I heard that on the <laughs> bold take. Okay. I was like, thank you. Someone else is yeah. not like a thousand percent sure that Calvin Ridley is just like definitely going to be the one. Uh, so I, I appreciated that.
0: We'll we'll see how it turns out. I feel like it could be tough out of the gate. I feel like Ridley's going to come out with some juice, but uh, we'll, we'll, it's it's a long season. Christian Kirk's got this. Um, one last specific question I had for you guys. You know, obviously you guys have had to adapt to how the mm-hmm. landscape has changed. You won two years in a row, and every year is different. But like in particular, it feels like each year keeps getting more and more different. And at quarterback. I guess there's two things specifically that I've changed. The quarterback over the years has changed a lot. Where, you know, went from like late round quarterback was the best way to play it to these second tier elites. Last year, like Mahomes, what'd you say you guys got him like five, six turn or something? Just yeah, five absurd. That's I think we took him in our ETR did a 10k FFPC last year and we took him similarly. Um, and you know now he's going going two, three. So like this year it's <laughs> like it feels to me that quarterback is wide open as far as how you can play it, as opposed to previously, you could kind of systemically do the same thing each draft. Um, Just wait. Yeah. do you guys have any, any takes on QB? Like, is it flexible to you or you you think you're, you're waiting more, more times than that?
2: I I think it's somewhat for me, it's flexible. I don't mind the quarterbacks in that third round range. I prefer it. I think we, as a group would prefer the late third round to get them, but, I think it's okay. I think a lot of what's happened with the market just is looking at what exactly what happened last year where three guys accelerated way past the field. I I compare it sometimes to what happened with Kelsey a little bit, where he was just so far past the field that it felt like you, you just had to have him. And it feels kind of similarly with those top three quarterbacks where it just feels like you have to have one of them because of how consistent they are, how often they're just putting up these 35 point weeks every week and the rest of the field just seemed to lag behind. Now, is that going to change this year? I think we're going to, I think, I mean, part of it is what we're seeing with the Kelsey pick where Kelsey goes in that early one. Mahomes just makes sense in that early three to stack it. And then the other quarterbacks just immediately follow because you know, they're, they score such similar amounts of points. So you get those early three and sometimes four with Lamar. Um, I don't mind taking them there, but I think it's probably wise to, be looking at that kind of second-ish tier that you're getting in the 5-6, even with Lawrence and Herbert, um, specifically even Burrow, um, that you can get a little bit of value. You can build a little bit of a sharper, you know stronger, earlier team with your skill positions, and then fill in a potential top three quarterback in those spots where you're not spending a third-round pick on one.
0: Yeah, and seasons can play out I – mean, they only play out one way, but they could have played out different ways. I think last year yeah. how – I've talked about this recently a few times. so it Might be a little bit redundant, but you know Tom Brady and Trey Lance in these managed leagues start to fall compared to best ball because of the scarcity is different. Those mm-hmm. guys were going in like double digit rounds um, come you know the last week of of draft season last year. I think they had you know not top three ceilings, but they had top six type ceilings. And if those guys hit, maybe maybe the market's treating things a bit differently yeah. this year. Um, so, but you guys mentioned nine drafts you're doing total. I'm um, curious how that split up in terms of, you know, time frame w- when your earliest draft starts and how many of you guys got coming up, and if you're headed back to Vegas this year.
1: Yeah, we did what three, three early, four late, or no, four early, four, four late, four early,
2: uh, five, five early, four, three late. Math,
1: I'm so good at math. Yeah, oh so we God. did. We yeah. did. We wanted a few early. Uh, we definitely wanted not the not the July fourth. Um, slows. Yeah, we're not slow I, I, Not for this. Um, I'll, I'll do it for best ball. I mean, just yeah. me personally. Like, I I have two kids. I I have a, a pretty demanding job. Like, slow drafts work really well for me personally on best ball. But for this, I'm not not as into them. But we wanted to kind of get some as soon as the um, as soon as the fasts opened up. So we're split about fifty fifty. We are coming back to Vegas, doing three mains in Vegas and a fifteen hundred dollar auction which should be pretty fun. And we have a little bit of homework still to do on it for sure. Uh, the
0: auctions, the auctions off. I did an auction last year. It was, it was a lot of fun.
1: I don't want to, I mean, like, we're taking it seriously, but I, I'm kind of doing it for fun. Like I'm excited yeah. to just jump in and like, do you, you one win two main two.
0: events in a row. You, you can, you can throw one in. For fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll say it that way. That's, that's a good way to put it. Can I just piggyback one more thing on, on quarterback real quick? Yeah, I'll just absolutely. say personally, like, We've had a number of discussions about this, and I don't think it's, like, officially reached an end point. I don't think this is, like, solved. No. Um, we don't have an elite quarterback yet. We did pass on Mahomes with the Kelsey team. I am struggling to see how an early first, early third quarterback tight end stack or, like, even the, like, Hurts-Devante Smith. is a very expensive, very popular stack. I'm, like, very much struggling to see how you're going to win – in the sprint, paying that much for a stack that's going to be so highly owned. I will say, too, we actually, I think we looked at this last night. Like, Mahomes outscored Kirk Cousins by like eight what? points, 11, 11 points 11. in the sprint. Yep. Wow. And that's yeah. obviously less the only than you factor. Think. less than you would think. Two weeks of no Jalen Hurts. Obviously, Allen and Burrow missed the game. Allen was actually pacing to outscore Mahomes in the yeah. sprint as well.
3: Lamar well, was so like.
1: Lamar was hurt. Like Mahomes scored 91 points, which obviously like three straight 30-point weeks, like, yes, that's going to be what you need probably to win. Um, And it's not to say that he couldn't do that again. That delta is not that high. And when you see like Dak Prescott and Kirk Cousins were two and three and like kind of nipping at their heels, it's like, wow, I am going to pay for this really, really expensive premium stack. What am I – am I really getting that much out of quarterback here? I mean, you could, like, if you're going to pick any quarterback to score 35 plus three straight weeks, it would be the three that are going early. Um, I totally get that and understand it. But to me, it's, it just seems like expensive, popular. And like, what are you really, really getting um, that you can't get a little bit later?
3: And I think an important thing with that is a lot of the youth is being pushed up this year. So if you're trying to catch up on your skill positions, it's going to be much harder um if you do that quarterback tight end early it's a lot that's harder a to catch super
0: up. yeah that's a super important point I was kind of make, making that point when we took we're in a slow draft uh myself Jack Miller Mark and Mark Dinkerman. we took Brees Hall in the fifth as our second running back and you know generally we're wide receiver heavy but one we just like that ceiling in a vacuum but two Nick like I have less like quote unquote zero RB candidates that I love than I, I feel like in last years that I can get in rounds, you know, eight through twelve. Whereas mm-hmm. you know, last year I was like, okay, great, you know, Kenneth Walker, Rashad White, you know, some of these guys, like I'm for sure taking this year. Yeah, Ramondre. Um, there's definitely some that I like this year and even some bets that I like in that spot, but but probably a bit less. Um I am hopeful the uh youth at wide receiver remains undervalued uh in these drafts, but we'll We'll see. It seems like they're going a little bit less in managed than they are in some of these best ball formats right now.
1: We could use a rookie class of receivers to not be great right away <laughs> and maybe like check the ADP a little bit. Because like, ADP is moving up for these guys like very, very correctly. But it seems like one class after another after another has been like quite good here. And like yeah. hopefully that's not going to stay that way forever, but we'll see.
0: Yeah, and it was you know this year was supposed to be maybe not as good of a class but all these guys are in such great spots like i was the injury to jsn sucks but you know addison seems like he's in a great spot for him quentin johnson has the huge ceiling you know zay flowers is just tearing up camp artists. so it's we'll see how it goes how many of those guys you can get in rounds seven through ten or if they all go like six seven um come final draft time will be a big different in terms of big difference in terms of how you can construct teams but I really appreciate the time. If you guys have anything else that you want to talk about, feel free. If not, um, I think this has been great.
2: Yeah, absolutely. We appreciate you having us on. It was, it was a lot of fun. And yeah.
0: We'll you, have Mike. to get wings again sometime soon. Yes. Yes. For sure. Uh, do that. And uh, Dom, yeah. I don't know if you've signed up for an ultra yet, but. I was
1: actually just talking about this with my trainer yesterday. I was like, I was really noodling on, like, running a big race, but I haven't quite got started. I, I need I need something, though. I don't want to diatribe too much, but it's like, okay, I've, I set out to accomplish some things in fantasy football, and I've done that. I'm a very, like, goal-oriented, like, a little bit of a hobbyist, like, kind of change up what you do. I need something else, and, like, an ultra seemed, like, challenging enough where maybe I could take a crack at it, but it's also very, very intimidating, um, yeah. especially out in my neck of the woods, so we'll see.
0: <laughs> it's intimidating, uh, very challenging, but your speed matters a little bit less than some other races. So it's like also kind of like this mental, like if you want to put in the time and do it, you can probably grind your way through it. I say that without having actually done it. I'm going to do my first
1: one. uh, I I, I just turned, I just turned 32, but I mean, I am in better shape than I was like five years ago when I, I did do a a road race marathon. So I, I, and you know, your, your mind is, is much stronger than you think, right? Like you, you put enough effort into something and you, and you set your mind on it. Like you could probably achieve it.
0: Absolutely. I uh, love it. Um, well, thanks again, Dom, Sean, and Nick. Uh, best of luck this season trying to uh, take down the 3 P. That would be uh, insane if you're able to pull it off. Zero, and, uh, zero just- percent. No <laughs> zero percent. No shot.
1: If it's not us, we hope it's you, Mike. <laughs>
3: All <laughs> yeah. right. Hey, me too.
2: Me too. <laughs>
1: keep that, keep um, that
3: championship in Buffalo. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yes, sir. Uh, thanks so much, everybody, for tuning in. Again, the established Edge YouTube channel is launched. So if you're listening on audio, want to check out the video version, it is up there. Best of luck this draft season.